8.15. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Poke Runyon. And tonight we present a reprise of the 1977 article in the Old Seventh Ray, number 19, by author Janine René, entitled Parzival and the Hermetic Grail. Now, this author researched and wrote the article at our request. It forms an important element in our reconstructed linkage of ancient Phoenician rituals to early Valentinian Christian Gnosticism and to the medieval Grail lore. Now, the major source for Janine's article is the 1965 book, The Crater and the Grail, Hermetic Sources of the Parzival, by Henry and Renee, and Renee Kahane. Now, modern neo-pagans have never lost their fascination for the Holy Grail quest. The idea that the Grail was originally pagan, the Hermetic Crater, goes along with the recent revelations of Jesus and Mary Magdalene and the paganizing of early Christianity. So, if you want to start on your own Grail quest, Tune in, and we'll give you directions to the Grail Castle, Mont Sauvat. And, of course, that's why we named one of our temples there in Pasadena, Mont Sauvat. Now, this follows, this program tonight follows along with the recent programs that we've had on the Lost Gospel and the uh, the whole idea of the um, succession all the way from ancient Canaan, uh, the, the rites of Baal Astarte, which come up all the way through history and all the way through the Bible and come on up to uh, the time of Christ and the early Gnostic uh, interpretations of Christianity, which were, as we have discussed, the Gnostic theory that Jesus was the last of the pagan dying gods and that uh, the goddess Astarte, or Aphrodite, Astarte, Ishtar, was in fact his priestess and his goddess, and the concept that the grail is actually not a blood sacrament, but that a honey sacrament representing the reproductive process, and that the true passion of Christ is actually his marriage to Mary Magdalene. And uh, this, of course, was brought forward in, in the Lost Gospel. Now, the connection, of course, to Parzival. Now, that's Parzival is the German spelling, and 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 Parzival, the romance, the Grail romance, was actually originally written by a German, Wolfram von Essenbach, and uh, it it is a King Arthur romance, but it's one of the earliest ones, and it has very definitely it, it's Hermetic. Uh, rather than uh, Paulian, rather than Paulian Christian, it's definitely Hermetic, and of course, it could certainly be uh, considered to be Gnostic Christian of the Valentinian type, especially that of Marcus. So, let's get into this article, and the article is, is uh, as I say, by Janine Renee, who at the time she she wrote it uh, was uh, married to uh, Ed Fitch, who we were. Closely, closely uh, affiliated with. Now, we'll start off. Wolfram von Essenbach, who lived from about 1170 to 1220 of the Common Era, was one of the greatest poets of the Middle Ages and certainly the foremost German writer of his time. I put on my reading glasses here because the old seventh ray, the type was kind of small. 
Um, his writing gained him much recognition, and he was patronized by several great lords. He himself was of noble birth, though somewhat impoverished. His works seek to glorify the knightly class. Hessenbach enjoyed participating in tournaments and uh, in the active courtly life he wrote so much about. He was an entertainer who recited his poems primarily for the enjoyment, uh, although some of his works were commissioned. Wolfram actually, actually claimed, I don't know a single letter of the alphabet, but he was obviously a very skilled poet and storyteller. Perhaps this statement can be taken to mean that he was not educated in a conventional curriculum uh, of many of his contemporaries. He began working on Parzival around 1197. His other most notable works are Willenholm and and Titrell. Wolfram's Parzival is considered by Loomis, 1965, uh, to be the most satisfying medieval treatment of the grail. Due to its scope of action, its harmonious view of, uh, of the Arthurian, uh, its harmonious view of life and its deeply spiritual visions. The Percival, Percival story, in, the, in connection with the Arthurian cycle, became very popular with the poets in the Middle Ages. The most significant early work on this theme was the Contes de Graal, also known as Percival Le Galoi, by the late 12th century poet Charentian de Troyes. It was, uh, it was mainly from this well-known romance that Wolfram drew most of his basic plot line and information. Wolfram's Percival is by no means a mere imitation of Charentian's poem, however, for he gave it new meanings, and a unique treatment. Much of this he claimed to have received from another source, the highly controversial figure of Provence. According to Wolfram, the poet Coyote had a more correct version of the Percival story than Charentian had. This veritable account Coyote was said to have read in a book he found in Toledo, written in heathen characters by a man named Flagentinus. Uh, now, this Flagentinus, who was half pagan, half Jewish by birth, claimed that the original grail was written in the stars. Now, there are many scholars today who feel that Coyote, the provincial poet, is a glorious invention, an imaginative hoax on, um, on the part of Wolfram, who, unlike some of the grail writers, did not lack a sense of humor. However, the possibility that Wolfram's unique rendition of the Percival story is partially based in some ancient heathen tradition has important implications and will be elaborated on further. Being very important uh, to our conclusion, Wolfram's story opens with the adventures of, of, of the knight Gamoret while fighting in the Holy Land. Gamoret marries, and then deserts the Saracen queen, uh, the Saracen queen, Balakani, who bears him a piebald child called Firfiz. He is married a second time after winning the hand of Queen uh, Herzl Clyde of Wales in a tournament. 
However, he goes off again in search of adventure and meets his death fighting the he- fighting in heathen lands. Meanwhile, Queen uh, Herzelode bears uh, Yalmaret, uh, a posthumous son, Parzival, whom she brings up in an isolated forest in the hopes that he will never learn about knighthood and follow in his father's footsteps. However, the boy does eventually decide to become a knight at King Arthur's court. His mother dresses the naive child in fool's clothing, hoping that he will re- that he will return to her after he's been laughed at. Uh, in the course of his wanderings, he meets with many adventures. In some cases, his naivete actually causes him to bring harm upon some innocent persons. He does receive some training and advice from a knight, uh, Grunamans, becoming more skilled in, the, in his practice of martial arts. Parzival rescues and marries the beautiful Conwiramurs, and he then intends to visit his mother, who, unknown to him, has died of a broken heart. While on his journey, Parzival happens upon the Grail Castle, the Mount of Salvation, Mont Sauvat. This castle is presided over by King Enfortus, who suffers from a grievous, incurable wound attended by a company of 400 knights and maidens in the service of the Grail. While feasting at the Grail Castle, Parzival witnesses several marvels. First, he sees a squire rush in with a bleeding lance amidst the cries and moans of the company. Then there is an amazing procession of women culminating in the entrance of the Grail Bearer, a beautiful virgin whose name means knowledge of joy. The Grail provides all the food and drink needed by the company. It is described by Wolfram as a very precious stone, lapis excellus. In most legends, the Grail is described as a cup or a vessel. In some uh, traditions, it is said to have been the cup from which Christ drank at the Last Supper and which Joseph of Arimathea caught his blood when he was on the cross. And although Wolfram does not actually describe the grail as such a vessel, we may assume that this is the form that the precious stone takes. The Holy Grail is referred to as the perfection of the earthly paradise, which surpasses every earthly ideal. Of its virtues, Wolfram says, never is a man so ill, but that if he sees the grail on any day, he is immune from from death during the week that follows. And such virtue the stone gives to men that flesh and bones grow young at once. The powers of the grail are said to be renowned, to be renewed every Good Friday, by a dove that descends from heaven and places a mass wafer on it. Wolfram mentions that both uh, Flagentinus and Coyote claimed that the grail had been left on earth by angels, who then returned to the region beyond the stars. Parzival is amazed by these wonders, but he holds himself from inquiring about their meaning because Gornamans had once told him that to show too much curiosity in anything was considered impolite. Parzival's failure to ask any questions is very unfortunate because it happens that, had he done so, the Grail King's affliction would have been cured. The Grail Company has been waiting for many years 
for someone who would come to the castle and lift the enchantment by asking in Fortis the meaning of the strange events shown. The next morning, Parzival wanders out into the forest, having found the castle empty, and proceeds on, on to the court of King Arthur. At King Arthur's court, Parzival is about to be admitted to the Round Table Fellowship because of the many valorous deeds he has performed in the past. This, the celebration is interrupted by Lady Kundry, a hideous sorceress who is the Grail's herald. She denounces Parzival as unworthy of knighthood because he failed to inquire into the meaning of what he saw in the Grail Castle, thus failing to alleviate King Anfortis' suffering. Parzival takes these reproaches deeply to heart, and he becomes embittered with God, whom he believes has shamed and deserted him. He leaves King Arthur's adventures. He leaves King Arthur's hall in a state of anger and humiliation. For five years he travels, encountering many adventures, yet still in a state of conflict and rebellion against God, hoping that somehow he may find the grail again and make up for his serious omission. All this time, however, Parzival does remain free from taint or falseness. At this point, Wolfram shifts much of the action to, uh, the, of the story to, go, to Gawain, another knight of the round table, describing at length many of Gawain's adventures and, and love affairs. Gawain is described by J.G. Uh, Robert, Robertson in 1970 as a sympathetic figure who serves as a foil to the pure and unworthy Parzival. Wolfram is able to maintain a good balance between the adventure of the of the dismal uh, of the dissimilar heroes, although for a while Parzival is very much in the background. It happens one good Friday that Parzival meets a pilgrim, an old knight who reproaches him for bearing arms on a holy day. Parzival begins to experience some remorse and is persuaded to visit the hermit. In the forest, this hermit, uh, Traversant, discusses with Parzival the path to repentance and explains many of the mysteries of the Grail to him. Parzival leaves Traversant with a with a new and optimistic outlook. He is he is readmitted to the Round Table and finally meets his pagan half brother Firfiz. Here at court, Kundry reappears and reveals that Parzival has won the privilege to return to the Grail. He and Ferfiz journey to the Grail Castle, where they are joined by Parzival's wife, Kondwiramirs, and the twin sons that she has borne him. Meanwhile, uh, one, of the, one, of, one of whom, Lohengrin, is the subject of another legend. And they come into the presence of the Grail Company, and Parzival asks the question, what does this mean? Whereupon Anfortis' curse is lifted. Parzival is made the new Grail King amidst great rejoicing. Firfiz finds himself unable to see the Grail until he receives baptism, and he then marries Raponce de Joye, the former Grail bearer, the Princess of Joy, and returns uh, to the Orient to convert heathendom. Assuming to her convert even to Christianity, uh, Lohengrin 
is also initiated into the Brotherhood of the Grail and later succeeds Parseval as the head of the order. Now, Wolfram is very modern in his treatment of martial and sexual relationships, and his attitude toward love and marriage is noteworthy. Parseval, the ideal knight, is completely faithful to his wife, whereas Gawain, uh, who symbolizes the worldly knight, has quite a series of affairs. In a time when marriages were arranged and often loveless, the tender bond between Parzival and Condorimers is especially refreshing. This is masterfully described by Helen Mustard in her commentary on Parzival. At the highest level, the delicate and tender love of Parzival and Condorimers, which is fully consummated, almost sanctified at, uh, at the close, uh, when their reunion is associated with Parseval's reunion with the Grail. And, of course, this relates to the sacred marriage. Uh, Wolfram's enlightened approach also stands in contrast to the stark dualistic and aesthetic aspects part of, er of earlier treatments of the Percival theme. Here, the hero of the spiritual quest must be able to function in the real world. And as Mustard puts it, Parzival is urged by Trevisant to continue in the practice of knighthood even while searching for the grail. The two worlds, the grail world and the world of knighthood, are constantly intermingling. It is clear that Wolfram is, is affirming the goodness and meaningfulness of life in this world, and the grail sphere is not set in opposition to life itself but is simply the other side of the scales. Another aspect of human existence, this very dynamic nature of the hero whose spiritual strivings are complemented by his active and successful involvement in the affairs of, of real life is brought out by uh, Traversin's statement uh, to Parseval after the, the latter has, has attained kingship of the grail. You have forced God by defiance to make his infinite trinity grant your will. I grieve for your trials. For it had never for had it never happened that anyone could ever fight his way to the grail. And I would gladly have dissuaded you. Now it has turned out otherwise with you. And this is mustard in passage nineteen sixty one. Consider the fatalistic nature of medieval Christianity. Wolfram von Essenbach's comments on free will and human greatness must have, have, have been highly revolutionary concepts. The Grail Conquest can be seen to have its precedence in the mythologies of many lands. The fact that these recurring themes have intrigued folklorists, some trying to track down a specific first source while others attribute it to basic psychic unity of mankind. And thus the question of mythological origins has caused some lengthy scholarly debates. At this point in her manuscript, the author offers a 750-word summary of major grail themes, which we regret our length requirements will not allow us to include. Uh, this, is, this is referring to... Uh, uh, um, the, the, the commentary by Cahane and Cahane, the writer uh, the, the in the grill. However, where, yeah, whatever may have been the original source of, of the Percival and the Holy Grail legends, Wolfram, who was 
a mystical of a mystical nature has imbued the Parsifal story with spiritual meanings more explicit than any other rendition. Parsifal has come to be subjected to many highly Christianized interpretations due to the Christian features which overlay the narrative. Such views especially tend to dwell on Parsifal's sins of pride and anger with God. And frequently Parsifal's silence and his failure to ask the question of Anforthus are attributed to a youthful callousness to suffering. In the 19th century, the great German composer Richard Wagner did an operatic rendition of Parsifal. Wagner altered Wolfram von Essenbach's story and its meanings considerably. Uh, in uh, Mustard and Passage in their commentary on Essenbach state that Wagner's Parsifal, splendid as it may be musically, is is as a literary work pretentiously moralizing uh, in its operatic libretto, wholly alien in spirit to the work it professes to dramatize. This refers in part to the exaggeratedly Christian overtones which Wagner lends to the story. The most compelling interpretation of the Holy Grail is revealed in the light of the Hermetic treatises. The spiritual texts of the non-Christian mystery cult which grew out of the Greco-Egyptian and Judaic influences characterizing the dynamic uh, intellectual milieu of, of second century Alexandria. Henry and René Cahane um, are the major proponents of this theory. In their, in their The Crater and the Grail, Hermetic Sources of the Parsifal, 1965, they state that our hypothesis is that the Parsifal myth is based via an intermediate stage of Arabic transmission on the Hermetic treatises, and they proceed to analyze and elaborate in striking parallels between the crater and, and, and of, the, of the Corpus Hermeticum and the Grail and its significance in Wolfram's Parsifal. And the crater, of course, that this is, refers also to the constellation crater in the Zodiac. Of the Hermetic texts written originally in Greek, 17 treatises have been preserved. They comprise the Corpus Hermeticum, forming a loose uh, synchronistic system, which was compiled into its present form between the 6th and the 11th centuries of the Common Era. Among these, the Pomandracer, Divine Pomander, contains 14 of the texts, uh, the fourth text of the Pomander called the Crater, uh, and, the, and the 13th treatise, the, uh, the Palaeogenesis, contain material relevant to Barcival. And some of the ideas expressed are similar to certain Christian doctrines because Christianity originated as an offshoot of the early Gnostic sects. In the fourth hermetic, the significance of the Holy Grail is tied in with the act of baptism in the, in the intellect, in the mystic vessel, rather, associated with the constellation crater. And in a dialogue which takes place between Hermestris Megistus, the avatar of the Hermetic writings, and his disciple Tot, the student asks, Tell me then, Father, why did God not impart the intellect to all men? To which the master replies, It was his will, my son, that intellect should be placed in the midst as a prize that human souls may win. And where did he place it? And Hermes gives the highly symbolic answer. He filled a great crater with intellect and set it down to earth, and he appointed a herald 
and bade him make a proclamation to the hearts of men. Dip yourself in this crotter, you who are able and who believe that uh, you that you will ascend to him who sent the crotter down. You who know what purpose for which you have been born. Now they who gave heed to the proclamation and were baptized in the intellect, those men got a share of the Gnosis, in effect, the knowledge of God. And they became perfect men because they received intellect. And this is from Cahena, Cahena, 1965. Similarly, the idea of baptism, revelation, and rebirth are important in Parsifal. Thus, Parsifal's half-brother, the pagan Furfiz, finds the grail to be invisible to him until he's baptized. And the Cahanes point out that the heathen Flagentus, Wolfram's and Coyote's source, is here insisting on the Christian baptism of the Grail's guardians. It is, no, it is no longer strange when baptism is understood as baptism in the Hermetic Crater. The nature of the initiatory process in the Hermetic Brotherhoods also corresponds with the Parseval, the Percival Parseval story. Uh, the wandering innocent fool here being the, the candidate for initiation, all candidates undergo a series of tests to win membership into the spiritual community, and accordingly, the stages of hermetic instruction are identified. With the stages consulting, uh, constituting the journey of Wolfram's Meist. These, for the basic structure of the, of the central and religious core of the Parsifal's ignorance, selection, revelation, penitence, rebirth, Cahane and Cahane point out many of the parallels, such as the similarities between the lives of the members of the Grail Fellowship and the Hermetic community. Women were included in the Hermetic orders as in the Grail, as in the Grail Castle. Parenthood was exalted in both cases. The wound in the testicles, which was the cause of Anfortis' suffering, can be compared to the concept of suffering in the senses, in effect, the inadequacy of the senses. And there are also many hermetic prototypes to be found in the major characters, such as Anfortis, Titorel, Trevisant, and Perfis, etc. The hermetic comparison also provides an answer uh, to a problem posed, uh, posed by Arthur Edward Waite, who was critical because, quote, the Paschal dish of the Galahad quest, in effect, the other versions of the Grail legend began on earth and was taken into heaven, but the history of the German hallow is the converse of this. The origin is celestial, but in the end, it is left on earth, and there is no reason assigned for bringing the Grail to earth, nor do we hear of its purpose or nature prior to this event. However, when the crater is viewed as a prize of intellect placed in the midst of men that human souls may strive for it, the reason for the grail's descent to the human world becomes uh, readily intelligible. Cahane and Cahane devoted the final section of their book reconstructing and outlining the process of transmission by which the 12th century poet Wolfram could have become familiar with these hermetic teachings. And the most likely course is that these Greco-Egyptian texts were translated into Arabic and carried to the flourishing cultural centers of Moorish Spain by such groups as the 9th century Sabaeans of Haran, a sect which combined pagan and Islamic traditions. 
And uh, I said, see the editorial on this particular issue. But uh, Flagenda's work must have been uh, of this nature, although it cannot be known how closely the Arabic text is uh, is followed follow the Greek originals. Hermetic materials became very popular among Jewish scholars in Spain, and were devoted to, who were devoted to a study of Arabic Arab manuscripts. The Kahanes speculate that Wolfram's source, Coyote, was probably a man known as William of of Tudela, possibly a converted Jew, who had been involved in and had been had some familiarity with the Moorish cultural milieu. There was some interchange between Moorish Spain and the scholars of medieval Europe, such that the Hermetic doctrines were in vogue by the end of the 12th century. Thus, a, a person of Wolfram's broad range of knowledge, a transmission of this Hermetic lore was logically possible. The parts of all, Wolfram von Essenbach's epic of chivalry can therefore be seen to explore spiritual depths uncommon to the stylistic modes and literature of the Middle Ages. This, its spiritual import, makes it the most meaningful early treatment of the Percival Grail Quest theme. Its inspiration is taken from ancient sources, especially from the transcendental doctrines of the Hermetic treatises, and uh, through the Parseval, Wolfram expresses ideals which, in the nature of their Faustian strivings, hold a strong appeal to the modern mind. And the partial bibliography for this, this article is, of course, Cahane and Cahane, the Crater and the Grail, Hermetic Sources of the Parseval, University of, of Illinois Press, and that's 1965. That, you, you, you can get used copies of that, by the way. Um, and then Loomis, Roger, Roger S., The Grail from Celtic Myth to Christian Symbol, Mustard in Passages, 1961, Wolfram von Essenbach, and that's, uh, that's uh, a vintage book, uh, The Parseval. And, uh, and uh, Arthur Edward Waite, The Holy Grail, The Galahad Quest in Arthurian Literature. And that's university books, and that's, that, that, I believe, is out of print. But I would also add to that from Ritual to Romance by Jesse, by Jesse Weston. And uh, now... Uh, let me uh, say a few things about this. Number one, I think Cahane and Cahane's book, which, uh, which by the way, I, I think is very, very important, uh, especially to our tradition. Cahane uh, and Cahane's book uh, delivers arguments that Parseval is a hermetic, is, is hermetic allegory. Uh, they, their arguments are, are, are really overwhelming. Uh, and so uh, we can, uh, and and also too the idea that they have that the, the Sabaeans brought it over. We've discussed this before, of course, on this show, and also in the seventh ray. We uh, Haran over at the headwaters of the Tigris and Euphrates River, right on right there, right now. It's a little bit over the Turkish border side. Uh, Haran was the last of the star kings, the last of the Magi and the Babylonian Magi. Had, they were the last um, holdout, and they were hermetic. The, the, the North Sabaeans of Haran were hermetic. And, uh, and they brought the, brought the whole hermetic corpus 
along with their star lore, their Babylonian star lore that they preserved, into uh, the Arabic, you know, the, the Arabic culture uh, after after the Arabic breakout in 600 uh, A.D. Uh, these these Sabaeans were exempt from forced conversion to Islam. They could do horoscopes. They could uh, they could teach magic and and uh, and they did. And they were the they were the magicians of the Arabian Nights. Now they also uh, they also uh, were professors and taught astrology and and uh, and and magic uh, over in Spain and in the Spanish universities. And the early Kabbalists were very much influenced by these uh, by these uh, Iranian Sabaeans. So what we're looking at really is. Uh, uh, the Parzival, Wolfram von Essenbach, is very, is influenced by this by this Hermetic Sabean uh, uh, tradition. Now, I want to uh, uh, before we go uh, uh, any further, I, I want to mention that there is a dissenting opinion on uh, there is another book uh, that is a commentary. Uh, it's a popular book, by the way. As not not as scholarly as Cahane's and Cahane's, but I think that we should we should mention it, and it's called the Cup of Destiny: The Quest for the Grail by Trevor Ravenscroft, and uh, this this uh, he's the guy that wrote the Spear of Destiny, which you may remember, and frankly, the Cup of Destiny is is more of a scholar. This is I have problems with the uh, with the, the spirit of destiny. The spirit of destiny historically has. Uh, I have problems with that. But in, but this particular book, he has this this uh, cup of destiny is is I think more more uh, nicely done. What uh, Ravenscroft is suggesting in the cup of destiny, he is taking again the Parsifal primarily as his as his grail um, uh, romance, and he's saying that. He he he's not going along with the hermetic idea. He thinks that that the uh, force the system behind behind the Parsifal is, according to him, Manichaeanism. Now, uh, Manichaeanism was kind of the the last of the Gnostic heresies. It uh, uh, it incorporated a lot of uh, well actually it was very much influenced by hermeticism and 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 also by mithraism which also you know has hermetic elements but manichaeanism uh began uh, you know over in persia about about 300 AD and this uh this persian uh, prophet uh mani uh who uh, according to the, the his uh, whatever biographical information we have on him, he was raised by by a scholar over there who uh, apparently seems to have been hermetic <laughs> and uh, uh, perhaps a Sabean. But uh, Manny took all of this and created his own religion and his own philosophy. And, 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 and he, he hung it on Christianity, and then it's kind of a Gnostic Christian, very much like Marcion. He's very, very similar to Marcion. Uh, he um, he um, created this this uh, Persian version of Gnostic Christianity, uh, which included Zoroastrian elements uh, and was very, very solar. And, and uh, whereas... Uh, we we tend to think that um, 
that uh, that uh, Jesus, when Jesus got trans, uh, transmuted into a sun god, which began to occur at a very early, early date, by the way, uh, we we sort of thought that that was a, a Roman Sol Invictus uh, kind of thing, and it may very well have been. And of course, many though also had this Sol Invictus idea that Jesus was a sun god, and uh, and. And, and, and equating him with the Hura Mazda and the, the Zoroastrian idea of light against darkness. So um, this uh, Manichaeism was was a a Persian uh, a Persian version of of um, of solaristic Gnostic Christianity, and it spread. It, when it once it got going. By the way, it also we should mention that. Mani also thought that he was the reincarnation not just of Jesus, but but uh, he thought he was Buddha and Zoroaster, and he and he and even got, he even got Ganesha into and and uh, <laughs> into his pantheon and and uh, and and Krishna, and he he was going to be all things to all men, and his cult got started in in Persia and it spread into Eastern Europe, and and uh, it got all the way to France. Uh, by by the, the fourth century and 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 into that and it it influenced a uh, a sect the Albigensians uh, the 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 uh, uh, the, um, the the people they call the Cathars uh, were were uh, were very much influenced by Manichaeanism. One of the things about Manichaeanism which is completely different, however, than than the earlier. Uh, uh, Gnostic Christianity of Valentinian and Marcus, which is more in the line that we we think of, and also more in the line of of, of the Hermetic tradition, uh, is that that the the the, the Manichaeans uh, believed, along with Marcion, that that uh, that Jesus was a completely supernatural being. He had no physical existence. They thought that he was entirely spiritual, had no physical. Well, this doesn't line up, of course, with other aspects of the Grail tradition, which which uh, the Hermetic tradition does. And one of them, one of the aspects of the Grail tradition that the Parsifal definitely uh, uh, goes with is the so-called bloodline. And those of you who are familiar with Holy Blood, Holy Grail, you know, you you can't have uh, you have to have a, a physical. Jesus has to have a physical. Nature. He has to have a physical host in order to have a bloodline, and 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 so uh, this uh, this Manichaean Christianity uh, or the Cathar Christianity is just really uh, it's too it's too spiritual for that kind of thing. And yet the Cathars, uh, there have been several books, uh, not not just Ravenscroft, several other books, uh, trying to indicate that the Cathars really were the custodians of the Grail. Well, and and uh, and this so this this is uh, also um, this is also um, um, Ravenscroft's idea that this that this uh, this Manichaean uh, later Manichaean Christianity is is underlies the Parsifal. Well, he's got a, he's got an argument, and um, and yet at the same time, I I, I think Cahane and Cahane. Their scholarship is is better, and I think their evidence is better. And of course, naturally, we we prefer uh, being being uh, hermetic and and coming all the way through 
from the pagan from pagan roots, we prefer the uh, uh, the the Kahane, Kahane, uh, idea that the Parsifal is essentially hermetic, and of course um, Marcus, the last of the Valentinian, uh, the last of the Valentinian uh, Gnostic Christians that that did get to southern France and the Rhone River Valley, and he, of course, uh, was was certainly uh, uh, hermetic and uh, and. And very much uh, uh, following the, Mary, the Jesus and Mary Magdalene idea that the sacred marriage of Jesus and Mary Magdalene is the real passion of Christ, according to the to the Valentinian Marcus, and and according to the to the Grail, the Grail symbolism of uh, of uh, that's refined in the Parsifal. So uh, this uh, the Parsifal is is very very important. Uh, in this whole in this whole tradition, it brings us all the way through. Uh, and I, I'd like to say too that I think that I think Mani himself was influenced by the so-called Nasain document uh, and the way his his thing played out. The Nasain document, which we discussed, and that's the only copy of it we have, of course, is, is Hippolytus's refutation of all heresies. But essentially, what the Nasain document says. And Jesse Weston uh, uh, covered in her *From Ritual to Romance* is that that the dying gods, starting with uh, way back with Osiris and Tammuz, and the dying god and the eternal goddess, this is the the big secret behind uh, uh, behind the Grail and behind uh, in Christianity, and, and eventually Jesus becomes the last of the dying gods. And of course, Mary Magdalene is the last of the priestesses of the Eternal Goddess. So, uh, in the one, the, another uh, aspect of this that we we should definitely look at is the concept of of just exactly what is the secret of the Grail. Now, uh, and what is this this question that that Parsifal is supposed to ask and Fortis? Uh, and uh, what ails you, Father? And and our answer to that is that Anforta says, "I'm afraid to die, my son." That's our answer to it. But uh, uh, the 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 uh, the real answer to all this question, and the one that that that, that we find in in most of the uh, most of the Grail literature, and the big secret is the king and the land are one. If the king ails. The land ails. If if the land is laid waste, it means that the king is is ill and is dying. And if we heal the king, we heal the land. Now, the significance of this is that that the king represents everyone who who quests for the grail. The king, every everybody is his own king or queen. And so, if you you um, you're seeking revival, and you're seeking uh, you're seeking healing, and the Grail, of course, will will do that. Now, the the uh, the King and the Lamb are one. This this this. Uh, I think uh, you know those of you who've seen Excalibur, you recall when King Arthur rides out for his last. He recovers and he rides out for his last battle. He rides, and all the flowers are blooming when they when they're riding through the woods. You know the knights because. The, uh, the 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 king is renewed and 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 the land is prospering and uh, and of course our our Canaanite Canaanite seasonal ceremonies 
do exactly this this sort of thing as they do. Um, Mild is killed by by the by the Grim Reaper moat at summer solstice, and and, and that's calcination. And uh, then uh, uh, it, 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 we have a solution in, in the fall when the rains come, and then uh, separation in the, in the north. Uh, and 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 then finally in the spring we have conjunction with the sacred marriage, and uh, so those are the first primal operations of alchemy, and that goes right along with the idea of of the uh, the king and the land are one, and uh, so the Grail is uh, is the symbol really of of the heavenly of the knowledge of of God and and of uh, the knowledge of of uh, of, uh, of the alchemy of the human spirit, the alchemy of the and the alchemy of nature and the human body, and and uh, so uh, this entire um, uh, Grail cycle is one that we uh, that we that we uh, celebrate both through the pagan through its pagan uh, um, origins all the way up through through Christianity, and we realize. When we look at all of this uh, in, in this in this time track, and we look at all of this in this mythology, we realize that yes, um, yes, uh, Christianity's origins really go all the way back to uh, to the early to the early vegetation gods and the early vegetation spirits. And the mystery of the Grail, of course, is is uh, the mystery that it, it's primarily. In a way, it's primarily sexual uh, because it, it, it involves it involves procreation, it involves growth, it involves renewal, it involves and, and you know Percival becomes the Grail King. Percival becomes the Grail King because he he comes and realizes he asks the question. He finally realizes what this is all about, and and this means that really what we're saying here. That should be obvious. Okay, you didn't you didn't ask these questions. Well, then that means well, what? What are you what are you looking for if you didn't ask if you didn't ask the questions? You're supposed to be looking for yeah. You 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 want to be the if you want if you're going to be the Grail King, you better you better find out what you're going to be king of, and you better find out what's going on. So actually, the questions are the quest itself. And and this is what's meant by this. If you don't ask the questions about what's going on here, then uh, then obviously you're not looking. You're 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 not you're not on a quest. So um, the um, the Grail. We're all trying to find the Grail, but the Grail, of course, the real Grail is within ourselves. And uh, I think that uh, that uh, and the uh, the Grail is in the heavens, and there is. Uh, uh, there is a great deal of celestial symbolism uh, involved in in uh, going up, going up, and uh, and and uh, drinking from the crater on the on the way down, and and all all of this symbolism can be can be researched in uh, in the in the the works that we've cited uh, uh, through, through our through our studies. And I, I think, as I said, uh, the Cahane and Cahane's book certainly will read that along with the Parseval. And uh, and if you want to get uh, look at uh, what Ravenscroft has to say, this cup of destiny should be looked at. 
because, it, you know, the Manichaean, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the Manichaeans, even though they're, they're totally spiritual, Jesus does kind of miss the point. But they, you know, they, they certainly had an influence, and they certainly should, shouldn't be forgotten. So that, uh, I think, gives you a pretty good uh, uh, rundown on, on the uh, Wolfram Van Essen box Parseval. And next week we will uh, we'll look at Melchizedek and Solomon and Enoch, and we'll start tracing that that whole thing in relation to the Hermetic tradition, and also in relation to our Phoenician seasonal ceremonies and 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 our particular uh, version of this entire track through mythological history. And let's not forget that uh, that Hercules is a, is a, is certainly a form of the questing god, and we have quite a, a debt that we owe to Greek mythology in this regard, also. So until next week, take care, be well, and good magic. <laughs>